0: Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Anne Baldwin.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. I am Ann Baldwin, one of the hosts of this program, along with my bestie and 60 uh, year old co host. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Uh, Lisa, I know you did. I just had to. But Lisa Dematis Lapore, who we had a great surprise celebration for. How's it feel to be 60 now that you've had a couple of weeks to kind of let it sink in?
1: I'm trying not to think about it. Really? But what I will. But what I will say is that I was overwhelmed and am still overwhelmed with gratitude and love um, from not only my staff, but my friends and my family for throwing me a surprise party. And I, so many clues were in front of me and I didn't even realize it because I'm preoccupied. Yeah, I, just a little. No, <laughs> so actually, that was probably just a little. So it was probably a good thing, but I was so overwhelmed with, like I said, to see so many people there and it gave me an opportunity to go around and to tell the people in my life how they've impacted my life and how special they are to me and why and I'm just so grateful because sometimes you know what you you, you tell them individually but some I just wanted other people to, to see the heroes sitting in that room that have helped me throughout my career in life so thank you for being there Anne, and bringing your mom and being a part of my special night well, it was really fabulous. It was so nice. Still so on the high over
2: that. I bet. And yeah. you know, it was nice that you did that. And it was amazing how many dear friends you have, and how much. Not only do you cherish their relationship that you have with them, but they cherish the one that they have with you. And that's really, when you look back and when you look forward, when you wherever you're looking, that's what really what life is all about. So I'm glad you had a good time. And I always love it when somebody is truly surprised. So that was beautiful. <laughs> Yay. It was. So let's Yay, l- let's, you. let's bring on our guest, Dr. Anthony Hatch. Yes. Yes. I'm so excited uh, to welcome him to our program today. And he's going to be one of the uh, four presenters at the Connections Virtual Conference this year, which is coming up in November. And we'll talk more about that. But uh, first, let's get into a little bit of of the credentials with Dr. Hatch. He's a um, sociologist and associate professor and chair of science in the society program at Wesleyan University. And there he works closely with the African-American studies, environmental studies, and sociology, and um, also involved with the Center for Prison Education at the Sustainability and Environmental Justice uh, Initiative. We could go on and on and on and on where you began your career, but we've got so many great things we want to talk about. Dr. Hatch, thank you so much for being on the program. Welcome
0: to our show. Thank you so very much, and happy belated birthday to you as well. Thank you. Thank
1: you. So we are so excited to have someone like yourself um, at our conference, which is going to be held um, November 10th, um, and... It's obviously going to be virtual because of the world that we're living in. Um, So Dr. Hatch is one of our four presenters, and um, our conference this year is titled Moving Upstream and delivered as a four-part lecture series. The conference will focus on the social determinants of health, the way we live, learn, work, and play, and the role that inequities due to social justice factors play. Um, And so what I'd like for you to do, um, Dr. Hatch is just, Get just uh, let's tell the
0: folks out there a little bit about your amazing history. So I am a, a professor at Wesleyan in the Science and Society program, um, which is an interdisciplinary major at Wesleyan where we study science, medicine, and technology um, as the things we study. So people people in sociology and anthropology and philosophy and history, all these different disciplines study the sciences, uh, medicine, and technologies systematically, and, and think about them as social, historical, and political things, institutions. So here at Wesleyan, I've been able to really continue uh, and develop new lines of work um, on, on health and health disparities that I've been doing for a long time. So um, I've been here in Connecticut for since 2015. My, my family and I moved here from Atlanta. Um, where I had been a professor of sociology at Georgia State for many years. Um, I was re- originally from Atlanta, and I actually got involved in health research there uh, as an undergraduate student. I was a college student uh, in New Hampshire, but I you know, would go back home, and um, my family fell on hard time uh, in my sophomore year. Um, and, you know, I've written about this. We were, uh, we were evicted from our house uh, in my sophomore year and, and, and really hit a hard bump. And in that space and time, I, I went back to Atlanta and kind of took some time off from college and, and got and and this kind of happenstance opportunity to work at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory. University in Atlanta, and you know, got working in 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 the context of in, in research in on this drug use, drug use prevention study in public housing. Uh, we were kind of a, uh, it was a youth after school youth program and a summer enrichment program designed to help um, these kids not you know drink and use drugs and and get into trouble. And so, I, you know, I I was just you know, from you know from you know, 20 years old was just kind of fixated on questions of health and well being and. Very much loved being out in the community, out in the streets um, as a health educator. And then I, I returned to that work after college. I went to, to Dartmouth and studied philosophy there and sociology and African-American studies. And so worked for a couple of years in public health research, uh, community-based research in Atlanta on HIV, AIDS education, um, substance use work. Um, we did a lot of work with people in transient populations who were using drugs. Uh, Different qualitative research projects. Um, So I was just kind of knee deep in the public health world, and um, you know, to make a really long story short, you know, really wanted to understand the kind of broader social forces that were shaping what we were seeing in the streets. Right? We couldn't. We couldn't change the circumstances of the of the young people's lives to the extent that we really needed to to impact their health. I felt like we were nipping around the edges at Mm times. And so I just really wanted to understand that. So I, I you know, left um, the public health world and went to study sociology. And so, um, you know, my uh, my work has been really focused on, you know, telling um, counter stories, counter narratives, right? Telling using sociology, science studies, critical theory, to illuminate um, you know aspects of health and medicine that are taken for granted that are directly linked to inequality, um, and that, you know, illuminate those, those, those problems in ways that, that give us options for solving them. So um, that's where my work has been. And, you know, my, my visit to The Connection next month will be focused on kind of raising some of those questions. You know, can we, can we get to health equity, you know, with the tools we have? Can we, you know, how do we do that? How do we partner together in ways that are gonna be truly effective for, for most people? Um, so that, that's really where, where my passion is, where my, my research has been, and also where my teaching is here at Leslie
2: So Dr. Hatch, let me ask you, what, what you know, for the conference and, and even for our audience here this morning, what is kind of your overarching, thought-provoking conversation starter? What should we be thinking about with all of your education and all the different areas in which you've mm-hmm. studied? Um, what is it that we should think about?
0: You know, if we, if we focus in on health inequality, right, and, the, and the, just the raw difference in life chances across the U.S., across Connecticut, across the world, right, that some people are living long, rich lives, relatively free of disease and disablement, and others are not. know, how do we confront that? I think that that, you know, we, I don't think we have really come to terms with The 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 um, the radical transformation of our social world that's necessary to see that day come to pass. Right, I I think that you know I don't think we've really come to terms with that. You know, fundamental to our economy, fundamental to our, our 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 government and their role in shaping our lives. Um, these are big questions about the big, big institutions in our society, you know, including, including science. You know, my, my research is focused on on science and medicine and how medicine, you know, participates in you know subordination, uh, how it perpetuates uh, ideas that are, are unequal and ideas that are say racist um, or or problematic otherwise. And so, I just don't think we really come to terms with that. So, I don't think we're really ready to confront the kind of changes needed to to get to health equity. And I, you know, I, I'm 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 willing to, to talk to anybody that wants to talk about that, because I just don't see I don't see the ideas on the on, on the table right now to get us there, right? There's a there's a fundamental disconnect between people who are doing you know community-based health work in in people's lives, close intimate work, you know, the scholars like me who are doing this work, you know, uh, writing about these ideas, and the policymakers, people in the corporate world, you know, I, there's just we're all operating at cross-purposes, and um, it's, it's, it's hurting people's lives.
2: I've, I've got a loved one who's been in the hospital for a long time, and, you know, pretty good job, middle class, health insurance. And I've seen firsthand when someone's in a hospital and it takes two days to find an anesthesiologist to put in a feeding tube, I've seen a feeding tube then finally put in, I go back three days later and nobody's put any food in the tube um, you know, to sit there, to sit there and, you know, have to advocate. And, and one of the physicians walked in and, um, started talking about how attitude is half the battle and, and, you know, you got to be positive. And I said, we'll talk about attitude when we talk about, first of all, getting some food in the damn tube. And what about the heart meds that right. haven't been, you know, so I, there's just, like you said, I think it's just across the board. I mean, are we ever going to move the needle on this? And I guess my point is I've often said, cause I've got a sister who's got health issues and doesn't have a pot to, you know, what in, and then I see people that got great jobs and great insurance and, Obviously, they're better off, but you're better off having nothing or everything, because it's the people in the middle, I think, that are really getting sucked mm-hmm. into the system and left behind.
0: Right. I mean the, 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 the suffering. I mean the suffering that the, the social system that we created for ourselves, <laughs> that we perpetuate right. for our mm-hmm. for ourselves. The suffering that system generates is unnecessary for the people at the you know at the bottom of the well. For the people in the middle, the working-class folks, you know, my parents just barely retired in their 70s. You know, working-class people who work for their entire lives with their hands, right? It's health insurance, sometimes not. Government health insurance, sometimes not, right? There's just inadequate care. It's not even really care. You know, the the data about the the pandemic spread um, Mm -hmm. is not enough to save us. Right, it's not enough to, to know how that suffering is distributed. Um, we have to, uh, ha- there has to be some kind of political and economic and social, cultural, some people argue spiritual, uh, revolution to really put the care of people in the center of our social lives. We we're just not doing that right now, you know. Um, So, you know, I think that and this this is why it's important to look at what's happening within science and medicine and technology, because that's where these ideas about health come from, right? That's where these ideas are produced and and Mm -hmm. validated and debated, and that's where they circulate from. And so those ideas limit what we think is possible, right? Um, So you mentioned the quality of care issues with your loved one in the hospital, right? We know how to fix that. Like, we know how to fix that. So uh, it's just not being done. There's not, there aren't systems of, account- of public accountability um, in health and healthcare systems that would would keep people on track. just, you know, so, um, you know, in my in my teaching about this, we focus a lot on the, the profit motive in healthcare, um, the fact that this is a for-profit endeavor, and that being um, a, a, a big problem in the U. S. Like specific to us. So um, mm-hmm. we can talk about that among, among other things. Um, but, um, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I don't think we've really been able to confront yet um, what is necessary.
2: Right. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Dr. Anthony Hatch. And we should also mention um, that Dr. Hatch is going to be presenting at the Connections virtual conference on November um, 10th from 11 to 1. And if you'd like more information or you'd like to register, um, we encourage you to do that at The Connection, Inc dot org. That's the Again, the date November 10th from 11 to one. And also this is kind of fun because, um, you can follow the connection on Instagram at the connection CT. And, um, I understand that everyone's reading Dr. Hatch's book, blood sugar. And, um, Posts are going to be up on Instagram continuously, which will include summaries the material opportunities to, you know, have an open discussion about some of the issues in our healthcare system. So that's also fun too. Again, the Instagram account is at the connection CT. And the name of the book is Blood Sugar.
1: We're all reading it right now. Oh, good. I just, Dr. Hatch, I would, I'm um, really, I'd like to, I just really want to talk um, more about, How has communication of statistics and data contributed to this overwhelming state of dread during the pandemic? And how can data be used to tell a story? Um, how How do you evaluate the data that we hear on the news? And what's real and what isn't? I mean, I think that we're all living through this is a really unsettling time for a variety of reasons, a lot of the things that you talked about. I mean, there's just so many things swirling around right now, but I really would like to have your take on the pandemic.
0: You know, it's, it's, it's not going to be a surprise to people listening, right, that, you know, our, our lives right now are, we're confronted with a crisis over truth, a crisis mm-hmm. over knowledge and, and science and what it all means. You know, when you know, I have background training in statistics and epidemiology and, and, and all these fields, and I have trouble discerning what I read in the newspaper, and I read, you know, multiple papers every day to keep on top of what's going on in the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have expert knowledge, and it's very difficult to discern. And then we have political leaders in this country who are, are actively manipulating uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what counts as true or, or re- about the pandemic, specifically. You know, concealing information, misrepresenting data, you know, that's, that's a problem. Um, yes. And I think that that, that that does contribute to the sense of dread that we are feeling. Um, at least I feel it. Um, you know, even I down to it. the hyper-local hyper, hyper <laughs> level. You know, the, the way I, I teach my students to confront this, right, is to be an educated consumer. Of of data and of science, you know, and and try to uh, exercise some some healthy skepticism about the mm-hmm. claims that you see. Um, and um, you know the you know I I think that the um that at least in the United States people have got the I think that most folks seem to have got the message that in order to stop the pandemic you have to wear a mask. Maintain social distancing, wash your hands, right? Mm-hmm. Keep track of what's going on with you and your people, right? Um and you know, the fact that those very basic messages have been distorted is I think it's I, I mean, you know, I, I've written about, you know, uh heinous practices and in, and in, in, in unjust practices in science and medicine and research. Um and you know, this is this this is a very what's happening is unconscionable. Um and you know the, the truth will come out about what what was known, um, uh, what the Trump administration knew uh, about the pandemic and what, and what they failed to do. Um, it's kind of the writing is on the wall. So I think that we, you know, the everyday people will just need to hang in there, keep wear your mask, right everywhere you go. Um, and you know those basic messages you know cannot be diluted. By those distortions and propaganda. But let me ask you, Doc, um, let
2: me ask you Dr. Hatch though. I mean, it this all happened under the Trump administration. I mean, this it happened it, regardless of of who the president is or could have been, um, this happened on his clock. Who should we listen to as a credible voice during this pandemic? Who is the yeah, vo- who is oh, the yeah. voice of reason?
1: Is there even one? Is there is one? There one? I,
0: exactly. I, I, yeah. No, There's a cacophony of voices. There's many, many voices. I mean, the the one thing that has transformed, been transformed in our social lives in the past 25, 30 years, of course, is communication and media technology, right? We're inundated with a universe of stories and narrative and image and number and flash, right? It's constantly, (laughs) right? We are literally inundated where there's no more bandwidth. Right. To 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 confront literally from the moment you wake up till the time you go to bed, you are constantly consuming what you might think of as media. <laughs> right. Uh, of, of, of all kinds, including stories about coronavirus, including stories about Trump. And, we, you know, it's, people have investigated this. We know that people in the United States are living in very different media scapes. Right. So, uh, you know, they're literally living in different worlds, as it were, with different truths. Uh, different, you know, different, factors, different uh,
2: agendas,
0: very different agendas. And so right. um, it is, you know, that apparatus, that structure is there on purpose. I mean, so, um, you know, I, I think, you know, just to, to drill in on a specific issue um, to, to, to really bring this home, the, the racial inequalities in coronavirus death, mm-hmm. Right. Um, has been right. well documented and well publicized. Right. Um, as early as March, we knew that African American, African Americans in general, and African American elders in particular were dying at disproportionately high rates, higher than you would expect given their proportion in the population. Um, again, as you're talking about African American elders, they've survived a lot to get to that old age. These are the survivors already, right? And mm-hmm. they were succumbing. Right. They were succumbing to That's right. coronavirus. Right. So. Um, as soon as it became public knowledge that that was happening, as soon as there were the first trickle of reports about that, what did the Trump administration do? They, uh, they decided to not roll out the national testing strategy. They decided to start distorting how the data on coronavirus co- were collected and counted, um, including how deaths were counted. They immediate, immediately went about the business of manipulating the situation to allow mm-hmm. for the death of black people, for the allow for the death of black people, right? Um, I don't, you know, they they literally gave it back to the states. They said we're not going to do anything. We're going to walk away from our responsibility to the people, and let the states do it. So then people are left to trust their state officials. But if you look across the states, you can't do that everywhere. You can't. Tr- I mean, as far as as far as science is concerned, you know, my people are from Georgia. You can't trust what the governor of Georgia is saying. But but, or but the governor of Texas. But
2: let me ask you, though, isn't that this should be a local decision making because you can't trust the governor of Georgia. Maybe the governor shouldn't be the governor of Georgia. I mean, don't you th- I do believe right. that a lot of this needs to be maintained more properly. Like, let's use Governor Governor Lamont. I'll give him credit where credit's due. He's done a great job managing this coronavirus here in Connecticut. I mean, one of the best states until recently. But, um, you know, so it is, it's it's just mind-boggling. There's so many different things, and, and I think we'll look back on this hopefully soon and, and really figure out where the problems were and the miscommunication. And, and I do believe coming from a media world myself, um, that can be part of the problem too because... There's nothing out there. There's nothing going out there without a spin on it and an agenda attached to it. So this what? is going to be an interesting conversation. I, I really think that, that hopefully we've piqued people's interest, um, you know, in this virtual workshop that's coming up. And um, it's so great, Lisa, that you've, you've gotten Dr. Hatch to be one of your presenters. We want to give you the information. Again, if you'd like to register, um, you can register at the Connection, Inc. Dot org, And if you want to read the book, Blood Sugar, and follow along on Twitter, the Twitter handle there yes. is at @theconnectionct. Lisa, how far along are you in the book? Honestly?
1: I just know I really recently just started reading it, and I've been reading it at night, um, and it's fascinating. I um, really am so um, grateful, uh, Dr. Hatch, for the work that you've done, um, what you stand for and represent, and really excited that you're here in Connecticut. And I want to also welcome you back to our show again really soon because I think there are many interesting topics that we can um, talk about and discuss with you that would be really helpful. Um, And so you must have an extremely proud family. If I... (laughs) to be really proud of you and your accomplishments and your, you know, can do attitude and just keep looking at these wonderful things and I'm sure that your students I'm thinking, I wanna be in your class.
0: <laughs> you should come um, I should I should say you know, should come and would, join you should come and join Oh in.
1: please. I would love that. That would be so fantastic. I'm just so grateful for you and thank you for all the work that you're doing, and especially excited and and uh, that you'll be part of our part of our conference. This is wonderful. Thank you,
2: Dr. Anthony Hatch. Um, again, who is a, a sociologist and associate professor and chair of science and society program at Wesleyan University. Thank you again for this um, thought provoking conversation.
0: Thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure to join you, and I look forward to joining you in the future.
2: All right, and thank you all for tuning into this edition of The Connection right here on
1: WTIC News Talk 1080. So...